We stay together, we survive. What we've got here is failure to communicate. To communicate. Stick together. Stick together. In the name of unit cohesion. 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 You are listening to the Cohesion Podcast. Actionable tips from internal comms leaders on how to improve your company's employee experience. This episode features an interview with Andrea Topper, Director of Internal Communications at Gardent Health. Andrea's path to internal comms has been anything but conventional. Starting out as a journalistic reporter and editor for publications like the Associated Press and Central Penn Business Journal, Andrea realized her passion for communicating with an audience. That passion took her to the fitness company CrossFit, where she was in charge of content marketing. On this episode, Andrea sits down with Amanda to discuss how she built an internal communications function from scratch, the do's and don'ts of altering workplace culture, and the components of a change management communication. Before we dive into the interview, here's a brief word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Simpler, the modern intranet software that simplifies the employee experience. If you are looking to increase employee engagement, collaboration, and connectivity, Simpler is your answer. Learn more at Simpler.com. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between Andrea Topper, Director of Internal Communications at Gardent Health, and your host, Amanda Berry, Corporate Brand and Communications Manager at Simpler. Andrea, thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. I want to start off and talk about your background a little bit. I find it very fascinating because you have a very non-traditional path into the corporate space. You started as a journalist in the news world, you transitioned to fitness, and now you're in internal communications. Can you just talk a little bit about that and how you made those transitions between those different industries? Uh, absolutely. And the quick answer is not on purpose. <laughs> so <laughs> I do have a very untraditional background when it comes to corporate communications. Like you said, I started out in journalism for about 12 years, and then I fell into content marketing and actually didn't even know I was doing content marketing. I was like, oh, this is kind of like journalism, except for CrossFit. Um, and I loved CrossFit so much that I just sort of fell into that and was doing journalistic style articles, right? Creating that, that content kind of like magazine length feature stories. And taking a very journalistic approach to it. And so I didn't realize until after the fact when someone was like, hey, that's content marketing. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Didn't realize that's what I was doing. And then just sort of fell into, got after I left CrossFit, got recruited for a job at Agilent Technologies, which is a biotech company here in Silicon Valley. And they make instruments and kind of consumables for biotech. They provide stuff to Garden, actually. They provide all kinds of consumables and other things to, to Garden. So Garden is a customer of Agilence. And then I got recruited into this role that I'm in now and sort of ended up here. So it wasn't part of any kind of grand plan or, or scheme or anything like that. So yeah, my path was, it has been very untraditional. At first, I saw that as a negative when I started, especially when I started at Agilent. And that was kind of my first time being in, a, in kind of maybe your typical kind of corporate environment. And the words were different and I didn't understand the parlance or the lingo. And I'm like, I'm really confused and I'm a little lost. And I just realized that we had different words for things, right? Like at Agilent and at Garden, we call it an editorial calendar. In the newsroom, we'd call it a budget, right? It's just completely different parlance. And I had to get accustomed to that. But what I will say is that if you know, you're in communications and you're kind of thinking about like, well, that path doesn't seem linear or how can I get there? 
it's it's the the basics are the same, right? The biggest kind of decision you have to make when you're thinking about communicating is who's your audience. And we all do that, right? I mean, some of us so in a professional setting kind of think of it a little bit, maybe more strategically, but literally every human does this. You talk to your mother differently than you talk to your significant other, than you talk to your sibling, than you talk to your friend, right? We have that in us already. So all of that is the same. Identifying an audience, how do I resonate with this audience? And that's really like the two basics. That's all the same. But yeah, I I, <laughs> I am kind of the odd one out usually in, in <laughs> both of these settings in both Garden and Agilent. I don't have a traditional corporate comms background. Yeah, I love that you're open to just taking that path as it comes to you. I, I, t- I oftentimes the people I speak to on the podcast say that that's how they end up there and they're, and they're happy that they did. I know I talk to people who have a very strict career path and this is what they want to do. But then I also really love finding people like you who just, this is just the path I've been on and I've just sort of along for the ride. Yeah, it hasn't always been like that. I actually, like when I first started my career, I was, and all through, through my journalism career and up through I got to CrossFit, I was very much like, I have a plan. And this is my plan. And this is what I'm doing and I'm executing. At CrossFit, I worked there when the founder was still involved and he's he's no longer involved. He sold the company maybe a year or two ago. And so I was involved when the founder kind of had a change of heart about the direction of the company. I was among the people who was laid off. And I probably should have expected it at the time, but I didn't. And so I kind of fell into a space where like, well, what? am I good at? I'm not really sure how these skills are transferable. And like I said, because in the corporate world, the 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 parlance and the lingo is different than my journalistic experience. I didn't think that there was a match there. I didn't think that my skills would be useful someplace else. And it was after I got to Agilent and, you know, sunk my teeth in after a few months. And I was like, oh, this is just a different way of saying this. I just am not used to the way these people are speaking or the different lingo that they're using. But my skills were transferable. And that was kind of a, a big aha moment for me where I just kind of got in a rut. I mean, anybody who gets laid off knows how, how horrible a feeling that is. Like your company is basically saying like, we don't need you anymore. And it's not a fun, it's not a fun place to be mentally. And so I think I kind of went from like, I have this plan, this is my path to like, it just got disrupted. And then I was like, all right, well, let's ride this thing out and see what happens. And that it was at that time at Agilent that I really started to understand, appreciate and kind of sort of fall in love with the power of internal communications at a company, how it can shape and strengthen a culture. And at Agilent has a great CEO who is very passionate about that and was able to change the culture over the course of five years. And he even talks about that with, with Wall Street. So that was something that I was like, this is amazing. This is really cool, right? Like I, get, I jumped into this environment where I was like, I don't really fit in here. What am I doing here? And it developed into like, wow, this is awesome. Look at this. Like I can really help here. I can be one of these pillars of holding up company culture. I'm writing this down because I want to come back to that idea of changing culture and IC's role in that. But before we move on, would you just talk a little bit about, give a high-level overview of your role as Director of Internal Communications at uh, Guardian Health? Sure thing. So I am actually establishing the function from scratch. So Guardian is a very fast-moving, still young company. So there is a lot to learn about communicating maturely about having processes. So a lot of what I do is kind of stopping people and being like, hey, so the reason we need to do this is because 
XYZ. So there's a lot of explaining that. What is internal communications? I have had that discussion with people. People are like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so, you know, going and explaining that, explaining why even bother, like, why do we need continuity? Why do we need consistency? Why do we need to communicate this throughout the organization? Why does executive management team need to cascade this down and ask their direct reports to communicate this to, to the rest of their team? So that is a lot of what I do is kind of establishing those processes. Some of them even minor, like the other day I sent out an email about, hey, this is uh, how we need to handle company-wide emails. Can't just send them willy-nilly. <laughs> you can't just send them whenever you want because we we sort of dilute the potency of email and people just start you know, ignoring it. So a lot of what I'm doing is that, but a lot of what I do also is kind of what many out there might expect, like create a lot of decks, I organize events, I am in charge of the all hands and working with our co-CEOs to present that and organize that. Our foremost value is put the patient first. So we're always thinking about how we can think of patients as our own family members. And frankly, and unfortunately, it's not very hard because most of us have been touched by cancer, whether it's ourselves or a family member or a friend. It's unfortunately very pervasive disease. So I also try to get a hold of actual patients to come and talk to employees to really motivate and inspire them to keep working. Because, you know, what we're doing is we're in a very competitive marketplace, like super, super competitive. And we need to find a way to really connect with employees so that they stick around. Bringing that voice in is, is such a key. I mean, when I've worked in financial services and in higher education, bringing in that why are we doing this moment for everyone to, to ground again is is one of the most important tools. I think, you know, I see folks can really, really lean on to get the most bang for the buck. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it has to be real. <laughs> so you're building this internal communications program. I, I mean, I've, I've done that. It's it's wildly overwhelming. You have yes. so many things to do. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Anything from how do we send emails? What's in our email signature? What goes in all hands? What is the, you know, everything? It's everything. How are you prioritizing that to not get overwhelmed? Yeah, that's a great question because sometimes I, I feel like I fail at that. <laughs> I fail at prioritizing <laughs> getting overwhelmed. So one thing that I think is helpful in my particular situation is that I mentioned before that we have co-CEOs at Garden. So we have two CEOs. They are both founders of the company. And I report to one of them, which is pretty rare in internal communications. It happens, but it's it's not common. That is hugely helpful to me in prioritizing and also in affecting change because he really cares a lot about the culture and he wants to make some significant changes as we mature from a startup mentality. We're not a startup, but we have that mentality still. Some of that's good, some of that's bad, to a mature organization where People feel like they have a good work-life balance throughout the company. People feel productive and efficient and they have, they're doing fulfilling work. And so there's a lot of stuff that we need to get done that's not internal communications related in that respect. But I think what I'm getting at is that it has to start from the top, that change. You have to get that support from the top because you can have people down below that are like everything you want to see, but they're going to bump up against that senior management level and, and not be able to get things done anymore because they're pushing down, kind of figuratively speaking, right? So we're pushing, I guess, kind of against the change we want to see. So that's hugely important. If I can get him on board, he can kind of proliferate that 
downward, right? And that's that's a rare situation. But I would say, like at Agilent, I did not report to the CEO. It was a couple levels down, and so there we had someone, or you have someone still. He's still there. He deeply cares about the culture. So that was huge. That was huge because you saw his staff, people who his direct reports, really trying to imitate and echo those values and the way that we treated other people. And I just can't stress that enough. And I think during the pandemic, a lot changed for corporate and internal communications, a lot. And it keeps changing. (laughs) And one of the good things that came out of that, I think, is leadership at most places realized how important we were. The value of internal comms really bubbled out. Absolutely. Yes. And so that's a good place to be right now because now internal comms, if it didn't before, now it has a seat at the table. Now it's like, all right, we need to involve you to make sure that employees have an understanding of this, that employees appreciate this, that employees feel valued, that employees feel recognized, all those things that are important. So that to me is is key. Like, how are you working with leadership to ensure that they're on board? And it sometimes it takes a lot of explaining, you know, of things that, you know, all of us have get comfortable in our own industries and in our own job to where like, well, of course you would need to do this. Why would you say it like that? Right. But sometimes people just don't necessarily, you know, understand that it depends on the audience you're working with. And biotech, we have a lot of people that are really technical. We have quite a number of people who are very introverted. So we need to figure out a way to work with them and help them to understand the value of employees feeling fulfilled, of feeling appreciated, feeling recognized, that they are critical, right? They are any company's most valuable asset. It doesn't matter who it is. Like that is the most important thing. You can have a wonderful mission, but if employees aren't on board, like it's only so far you can go. Right. Absolutely. I've got a bunch of questions based on everything you've just said. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's really, it's exactly what I want to get into. So I'm going to move into our first segment called Story Time. Welcome to Story Time. Story Time. Story Time. Let me tell you a story. I want to back up. You've mentioned CrossFit quite a bit. I'm a big fan of CrossFit. I lived in Madison, Wisconsin for many years. Where the oh, nice. CrossFit yeah. games are every summer and probably will be for a while. But you've been in there, I believe, about 10 years, if I remember correctly. You're currently a head coach and leading learning and development at CrossFit. How has your time at CrossFit really shaped your career in internal comms? And are there parallels you can draw between the two? I worked at CrossFit headquarters for about 10 years. And then the whole time I've been um, out in Northern California, I've been coaching at CrossFit Silicon Valley. So one of the, a a CrossFit gym, and that's where I'm head coach. So there's a part-time kind of, I do this for fun (laughs) sort of thing and lead learning and development for the coaches there. It's an interesting question because at the time when I was involved in CrossFit and the founder was still involved, and like I said, he's not involved anymore. He was a very iconoclastic man in his view. So he would look at best practices at other places. And just because they were best practices, he'd be like, we're not doing that. That's corporate, right? And there was a lot of appeal to that for many of us. I mean, CrossFit was born out of controversy. And it's still a little controversial, I guess. And so we wanted to kind of be like the anti-corporate, right? But At the end of the day, there's some things you just can't get away from. I mean, you need to communicate with other people. I learned from in terms of, number one, 
how you can really inspire and motivate people, right? That was huge for me is seeing how you can get everyone moving in the same direction. And that was everything from him as a leader, the founder as a leader, who still to this day is one of the best public speakers I've ever heard. Just incredible. And could really just rally and galvanize people around the mission, the objective, whatever it was at that time. So that was a big one. I was a writer there and then we had writers, we had videographers, we had, you know, travel coordinators, HR, like everyone. And what I saw there for a while is just everyone, no matter what their role was, they were like, we are helping make people's lives better through fitness. Everyone believed that, like sincerely believed that. Even if no matter what your role, no matter if you didn't really directly touch an individual at a gym and help them with their chronic disease through fitness and, and nutrition. That was a moment in my life that I will cherish. I'm not sure it will ever come back <laughs> of that level of people were so fired up about CrossFit. And I mean, the people who work there. So, you know, if I took a spreadsheet and we were to have logged like, okay, everybody who worked at CrossFit HQ, these are the number of hours you work today. You were in the office, right, at that time. And then you go to a CrossFit gym. And because you work at HQ, like, you know, you have a certain kind of role even in that community. And then maybe, like, after hours, you go and hang out with a bunch of people from work and you're talking shop the whole time. Like, our whole lives were CrossFit. And so if you had, if you had logged that on a spreadsheet, anyone who did not work there or didn't know much about it might might have looked at that and said, these people are overworked and they're going to burn out. This is not sustainable. But that's not the way that we viewed it. Like we loved it. Couldn't get enough of it. It was just give us more. We wanted to be involved in everything. And how can you get people to that point? That's the trick. That's the magic. I'm not sure that you see that in many places. And for me, I think that might have been like that. That was my one in a lifetime kind of experience that I had. But that's always the goal. So I always think of that, like, how can I get closer to that? And wherever I'm at, how can I move like the employees closer to that? And the reasons being not because we want them to work 80 hours a week, but because we want them to feel fulfilled. We want them to feel like this is meaningful work. This is fulfilling work. I love doing this. And I mean, you know that when you love doing something, it doesn't feel like work. And you know when it does, because at the end of the day, you're exhausted. And it, you might have just like been doing stuff that's not particularly high brain power. But you're just like, I am so tired. I just need to have a glass of wine and lie on the couch. Is there any parallels you can draw? You mentioned in a previous role, you'd watched a leader who cared about the culture and changed the culture. Yeah. And then thinking about the culture at CrossFit. Yeah. And, and your role in helping change the culture at a previous company. Give us the do's and don'ts. How, how does that happen? Like, how, where does the enthusiasm come from? How did the employees, you know, receive it? Help bring me along in that. I'm very curious about changing culture. I think it's it's interesting that you asked this question because I saw a lot of parallels. After, after I'd been at Agilent for probably like six months, I saw a lot of parallels between Agilent and CrossFit, which seems crazy because CrossFit was a private company. It probably only ever employed roughly like 200 people. At that time, there were seminar staff that would travel all over the world teaching courses at that time. I don't believe they're full-time employees. They might be now. And then Agilent, which was, you know, publicly traded company, 16,400 employees all over the world, way different, not founder-led, 
But it had some similarities. And those similarities were you heard from the leader often. So after the pandemic kind of first struck in the Northern California area and we all were sent, sent home, the CEO of Agilent started making home videos, checking in, like saying like, here's the latest stuff. He called his office at home, the Agilent newsroom. And by the way, like no one in internal comms told him to do this. He just did it. I'd love to take credit for that, but he just did it. Right. And that was awesome. That's incredible. So that those are the similarities. They talked often to the employees, rallied them behind. This is what we're doing. And this is why you are integral to this process. And we care about you here. You matter. Those were like the three main messages that, that both of them had in common. So people felt safe. They felt supported and they felt excited about that. That leadership component and the communication from that leader was huge because in both places I saw what happened is that everyone was like, we're in this together and we're all like rowing that way. There was agreement on that. And that filtered down to how people treated each other, which was a pleasant experience and how people kind of viewed what we were doing. And like I said, the direction that, that we were going, there was unification around that, galvanization around that. When I had that realization, I was like, that's so crazy, right? Like these companies could not be more different because when you go into Agilent, it's sort of like, I would say socially conservative, not politically conservative. It's kind of like a socially conservative place, right? And CrossFit, if anyone knows anything about CrossFit, I mean, you know, they used to post like naked pictures on the internet of athletes, right? It always was trying to push the envelope of like, challenge you in terms of what you thought was kind of <laughs> right or prudent or whatever. So totally different philosophies, but very similar reactions from employees. And I feel that that boiled down to the leader. How are you measuring along the way? I mean, you, you I, I heard you talk about like the employees were excited, they, they cared. How are you gauging that? Yeah, a lot of it was employee comments. So, you know, everything from comments on you know, the videos that we posted of a leader speaking, particularly CEO at Agilent. So how many views are we getting this? How many comments are we getting? How many comments are we getting through email? And then employees would contact us. They would feel like so moved by something. They would send something and either to that leader or to us, or we had access to kind of had like an alias mailbox. So we would take a look at that and say like, all right, like, how is this working? Agilent also does a yearly, they call it a leadership survey, but it really it's it's kind of like a pulse survey, but it's it's done each year and it's connected to best places to work. And so they, they take that very seriously there. So it's um, kind of broken down by, you can tell which teams people are on. Like, are you in finance? Are you in sales? Right. Then the leader of those teams or organizations or departments will take that feedback and ingest it, read it, really allow it to percolate and see what kind of changes need to be made. And that was something that was a very big deal. It wasn't like, here's another pulse survey. Tell us if you're happy. Okay, bye. It was quite a thing. And the CEO is the one who sent out the message about it. Like, this is why we're doing this. This is why this is important. Tell us where we're failing and tell us what's working. So there was a lot of measurement there. And I think 
I mean, that's critical, right? You have to have that data and especially to, to even for yourself, just to know what you're doing. But I mean, it also will, will help you to gain another headcount or spend money on some more technology. You need that to be able to prove your case. And especially at a place, you know, like Garden, where we have so many scientists that are focused on what's the data, show me the evidence behind this. I need to make sure that I am being very mindful of the details. I, I just want to call out, as, as you were talking about, that one of the things that I hear, whether it be about DE&I, any sort of change or any initiative that's important to a company, I guess is where I'm going to, needs to be CEO-led. They need to have the support of the CEO. And, and they, they, they mentioned about CrossFit and the examples you're just giving is, is that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, it can only go so far, right? Like I mentioned before, like you can have a huge swath of the employee population that maybe has a deep understanding of what needs to happen, but it'll only go so far because they're trying to kind of percolate it up. And if, if those folks are resistant and they're like, no, and they keep pushing back against it, then it really can only go so far. And I mean, leadership really, it sets the tone for the company. I mean, they really do, right? In, in the same way that I coach at CrossFit and I have people from all walks of life and ages and backgrounds come in like, I, as the coach, set the tone for the class. And so without them, without their buy-in, it can only go so far. And it, it's probably, in the end, a recipe for disaster, really. Everyone needs to be moving in the same direction or you're just going to, the boat is going to crack. <laughs> I want to move into our next segment, Getting Tactical. I'm trying to figure out tactics. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't have to worry about tactics too much. Here I am in charge and trying to say, why did you sleep through tactics? Get some real details from you, Andrea, some real tips and tricks on how to execute. We've been talking a lot about change. So I'd, I'd love to talk with you more about change management and how the role internal communications play. I read somewhere, it was like yesterday today, that 70% of change could fail for any number of reasons. But I really want to focus on what I see internal communications can do to help avoid failure. First, I'd love to get your opinion. What is the relationship between change management and internal communications. It's often used interchangeably, and I'd love to have your opinion on that. It's huge. I mean, even so at Garden, I mentioned that I'm starting to function from scratch. So there's a lot of, this is what internal communications is. This is why we need to do this process. And it's because of where Garden is in terms of its maturity as a company. Now at Agilent, much older, established company, you know, twice as old. And we had a lot of people, or you have a lot of people there, or I won't say a lot, maybe a significant amount of people who came from HP because Agilent was spun off of HP. So you have people that are like, I've been with Agilent 40 years. And you're like, hold on, Agilent's only been around for 20. I don't get how that works. So it's, they came from HP and they just kind of continued, right? There was a lot of, hey, we've always done it this way. That's not how we do it. So I had to do the same thing. So as you said, <laughs> it can be interchangeable. And I think the biggest part of this as an internal communicator is patience. Prioritize, have a plan, have your strategy for a year, figure out what's the most important thing. In your mind, you know what you need to do. Like, okay, this has to happen. This is bad. This can't happen this way. But if you just flip that switch and you flip too many of them, and like this is different, this is different, this is different. People are like, all likelihood, they'll probably ignore you. They might become irritated with you. And then you've regressed in terms of your effectiveness with them. 
yeah, change fatigue is, is huge. I think that's probably what you're alluding to there. I know that I've worked at companies where everything was changing and people were just like, I can't handle any more change. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. And, and put that further into the context of the world we've been living in as a society, as a global society. And it's like, now what? Right? It's compounding this effect. So I have to be very mindful of that. I have to be very careful when other people get impatient with me and are like, well, how come you haven't rolled out this process yet? Because I know that it needs to be, I know that. But if I do this too quickly, I have to bring people along. I have to help them to understand. I have to show them my value. I have to earn their trust. And then we can start having a conversation about, okay, this is what needs to happen. So to get real specific, that process for company-wide email. So the process had been, I don't know what's coming and when it's coming. And it'll be sent to a distribution list. And I, on the other end of it, am, I either approve or reject this for release to the whole company. Literally, it could happen at any time. Didn't know when it was coming at all. I got no heads up. Because that's what people were used to. Right. And someone on the other end, it was IT before because there was no internal communications was like, yep, approve. It was a rubber stamp. So I needed to wait. I need to get more visibility. Right. And that happened like, you know, I am on the all hands. Like I asked, I'm the one kind of moderates questions, ask questions. People need to get used to seeing my face, understanding my value, understanding how I can be helpful to them and useful to them. And I only rolled out that process. What was it? Was it last week or week before? I mean, I've been here nine months. And someone else could have argued that that was an easy one. You should have just done it right away. Well, people are so used to doing this. Like first I had to get people to come around to, hey, not every single person we hire needs a company-wide email. Like we're at 1420 or something in terms of employees, 1,420, somewhere around there. We can't send out an email for every single new hire we have. I mean, we've been hiring at a record pace. And I need to get that part done first. So, all right, I've transitioned everyone over. They're now posting that on, on a dedicated Slack channel that's searchable. It's all in one place. People can find it. So that was like kind of like step one. And then what I did is I got a couple of people involved early. So I said, hey, I'd really love to do this. Like, instead of sending your email out on 4.30 on Fridays. I know that, Andrea. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sitting here at 4.30 waiting for final right? edits. You're sending at 6. Right. Nobody's reading it. Yes. yes. And you're like, it's Friday, for God's sakes. No one's here. Yeah. So I had to move that up. But I, in that process, I had to explain. They're like, I don't understand why we can't just send it at this time. Okay. Well, some employees read it because I get some comments like, Okay, so I have to go through that explanation. That takes time. Now, but once I can get them as supporters, and that's a, an email that's actually sent every week, once I can get them on board, and I got someone else on board early in the process, it was two people, one from our program management office, and they love process, and regulatory and quality, also love process. And then someone from IT, more process lovers. So I got a group of folks to kind of adopt early. And so when I sent out that email saying, here's the process, and I kept it super simple. It wasn't a lot of verbiage and explanation. It was just like, this new process goes into effect. And in the name of continuous improvement, this process goes to effect this date. Here's the process. Step one, two, three. Here's the reason for this process. Just 
shortlist. And then thank you to all these early adopters who have already been doing this. You know, add in a little emoji of a trophy. Uh, simple stuff. But that was huge because they I already had people doing it. So no one could come to me and say, well, this isn't going to work. No one's going to do it. So and I already have people doing it. That's interesting. I, I like that. I was going to ask you, that's one of the things that came to mind as you were talking is, what are the components of a good change communication? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that. I mean, you're talking about sending out that message. You know, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? When are we doing it? Yeah. And then I love that. And thank you to everyone who's already been doing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of that that naysayer of like, no, no one's going to want to do this. Right. Right. Is there anything you would add? No, that's huge. And I think maybe those are all the, the major components. And I think maybe adding into that would be timing. You know, some, some things kind of take a little bit more of a phased approach than others. So when I got here, I started meeting right away with folks in our infrastructure engineering group in IT. And I'm like, hey, teach me everything you know about our current intranet. I know that we, you know, there's, that's kind of in my purview and I would like to change it because it's, it's a site that doesn't have, uh, it doesn't allow for interaction, employee interaction. It's not dynamic, super stale. I think people forgot about some of the pages they created there. Like, it's like a graveyard and it becomes a repository. And, <laughs> right, <yes>. exactly. <laughs> and so I started planting that seed then. I think I was maybe two, three weeks in while I was like, hey, I'd want to do this. So I started gathering, I started meeting with all the folks that I needed to in IT, infrastructure engineer, engineering, business applications, and saying, talk to me about what you think about the current intranet. What would you like to see and what would it take to, you know, kind of make that change? And then I had a bunch of one-on-one -on -one meetings, my first probably three, four weeks with people all around the organization. So a lot of them were very senior leaders and also some like director level folks that have been there a long time. Tell me how I can be helpful to you. So this accomplishes two things. Number one, I exist here. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, <laughs> I want to be helpful. I am listening. So it was sort of a way to do a, a bit of a, a internal communications audit, like right away, right? We ended up hiring an external company to come in and do that as well. But it gave me a chance to really gain an understanding right away. And so I kept hearing that from people like our intranet is terrible. Like, can you please do something about that? So all right, there's, that sentiment's already out there. So planting that seed with IT, because it's, I mean, I can't happen without them. It's impossible. So I needed their buy-in. So that took some time. They, they were very receptive, but you know, then we get into like, oh gosh, the migration. Oh gosh, the this, right? The change part of it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think this is all to say, I, depending on the initiative and not just the initiative, because there's not a one size fits all, the tolerance of your audience, right? The employees, like, like I said, like, all of us are probably sick of all the change because of this pandemic and then exacerbate that with a company that is fast moving, constantly changing in a super competitive environment. And wow, it can be stressful. So I don't want to come in and be like, change, 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 change. Just like everything's changing. I have to go slow. And I think that's that's a good exercise in patience because you know, we know what needs to get done as internal communicators. We know what the problem areas are, but you have to prioritize and then figure out what is my plan for this? What's my comms plan for uh, unveiling this to the whole company, my change management plan? Who do I need to get on board? And how long is this going to take to really 
do based on the the tolerance of the audience and look for your early adopters if you have fans right away use them they can be your champions so that when change starts to happen and people go to them because they are the company influencers even though they might not be in like senior leadership positions people go to them because they respect them and you might get some of that. You'd mentioned meeting with like directors and and above. But you could really get some information. There. I'm sure you probably heard that from some of those folks going, our internet's not great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and you can start to pick those adopters and influencers. For sure. And one of the things that we did, you know, early on in with the internal communications audit is created a core team for the audit. So you really get their opinions and solicit ideas. And this is a group that I want to maintain. That's not just for the audit. Like I want to keep them around and maybe switch out members and stuff to make sure we have fresh ideas. And when there's anything major, be like, hey, what do you guys think about this? And then once I get support, like I said, people will go to them anyway, because those that's the kind of people they are. People are going to them for their opinions on things. They are influencers. They're like, oh, yeah, I know. This is awesome because X, Y, Z. We should do this. They're champions. They're also proliferating it among their teams. They're telling their leaders about it. I think everywhere internal comms is understaffed, right? (laughs) So, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I've never heard any person go, I have too many staff. (laughs) (laughs) You know know that that would be ridiculous (laughs) to say that. Yeah, exactly. So that's a huge one. And, you know, I try to... I leverage my manager when I can. My manager is a CEO. He often starts our one-on-ones with, how can I help you? Which is awesome in and of itself. But I sometimes say like, I need your help with this. I'm going to be doing this. If you could just show up for the first 10 minutes of this meeting, just tell everybody you support this. This is awesome. Thank you for your participation. I look forward to seeing the outcome of this. Like that's really all I need. And maybe it's just five minutes. It goes such a long way to help with that. Such a long way. So it's timing, I think, was the only thing I'd, I'd kind of add to some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to move to the next segment that connects to this. Next segment's called Seat at the Table. First, get a seat at the table. Get a seat at the table. You want a seat at the table. When we think about these initiatives, whether they be change, M&As, anything big that, that you're going to need to be a part of an in internal comms, from my experience that when IC doesn't have a seat at the table and last minute you're told like, oh, we, are, we acquired this company or, you know, meeting with their employees tomorrow and you're like, what? I don't have anything ready, like an intranet site. I don't have documents from HR, you know, nothing, presentations. So my question to you is, I know you work with your CEO now, who sounds very supportive, and that's fantastic. But what advice would you give to someone who's in internal communications, who's really having a difficult time getting a seat at the table to participate in these from, you know, from the, the starting line, so that to help prepare and make, you know, anything, any big change initiative successful? Measure where you can, in any way that you can. Let's say like someone is at a company where they have an intranet that's ancient, that doesn't have a way to measure, right? Gather any kind of anecdotes. Someone has probably said to you along the way, this this is great. I love this, whatever. If that can be written down somewhere, like all those emails, right? I have a folder that I keep called nice things and I keep it by, by year. I do that too. Do you really? <laughs> Yeah. Well, because like when I used to do my when I used to do my performance evaluation, and this is a previous boss would say, I want to hear the things that, that people say that are nice about you. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Because you you hold those in. And so I kept a nice folder. <laughs> it's your evidence, right? Like I'm doing something worthy here. And and the next part would be find 
your champions and your supporters and preferably if they're at, you know, the senior management level, right? VPs and above. If you can find people there that maybe you created a comms plan for someone who resigned on their team unexpectedly, or maybe you've been writing messages for them for a couple of quarters, or maybe you helped with a specific team or department's initiative and getting buy-in on something. Track all that stuff. You know, for me, it's even, it's hard because there's so much coming at me at one time. And I have a weekly one-on-one with my manager and at six months, I told them, Hey, like I've been here for six months. I'd like to talk about, to get any feedback from you about how I've been doing. I want to talk about my career path. And so I was like, you know what? I should sit down and just, let me just keep it simple. Let me just write a list of stuff I've gotten done. That's it. Just stuff I've gotten done. And it's funny because I've been moving so fast as part of this culture that I kind of went into it thinking, I don't know that I've really gotten anything done. And then I made my list and I was like, oh my gosh, I've done a lot. So you have to record it somehow, like make that list and and just keep it like an ongoing document. Find your stakeholders. If you can get like, if it's emails or you can get someone to write something down, even be like, hey, I know that you said like this person loved this. Is that in an email or could you write that down and could you send it to me? That all builds and builds and builds if you don't have tools that you need to measure you know, if measure likes and comments on content or interactions with email campaigns, if you don't have that, then figure it out a different way to measure it to to show that you are making a positive difference. I think sometimes the poll surveys can help too, right? Like we aren't, depending on the company, aren't always in charge of that. Sometimes it's a, it's a function of, of someone in HR. But if you can get insight into that and add a question hopefully about communications in there, you might be able to get some measurement in there as well. I know like I often try to use, you know, some sort of survey tool after an all hands meeting or after the newsletter goes out just to help gauge, you know, even if you can see even those page views and even just to get that, that, that extra sentiment, like, did you, you know, what, what do you like most about this? What can we improve? You're right. That content is super important. Yeah. I'm going to move into our last segment, asking for a friend. Who's asking for a friend? Hey, asking for a friend. We're going to get your expertise for our hypothetical friends out there. What do you see are the biggest challenges internal communications professionals face in the future? I mean, we never could have predicted pandemic and everything going digital. And I'm not sure that was like a huge challenge, but it was a challenge, right? We had to train strategies. We had to really focus on good technology. And does the technology meet we're going to do? So I'm very curious as to what you see we're going to face the next five to 10 years. I think there's a couple of things. One, in the context of this great resignation, great reshuffling, is retaining employees, helping them understand how critical they are to the mission, making sure we're providing an environment that's fulfilling, that has a good work-life balance. That's the first thing that comes to mind. And then just the hybrid environment. So right now, for example, you know, at Garden, only essential workers are going on site because of Omicron. And we're hoping that maybe we can get back to the office in early March. That lack of human interaction has had a profound effect on a lot of people, on their mental state. Those kind of 
water cooler talk, the kind of the, the spontaneous, that's the word I'm looking for, the spontaneous conversations that erupt don't anymore. You're just like one Zoom to another Zoom to another. I just don't think that's natural <laughs> right? for us or you know, sustainable in the long term. So while we have some people that probably are craving that interaction, we also have folks that are like, I'm good. I'm good. I'll just stay at home. So that hybrid environment is going to be, I think, really challenging moving forward. I don't think that's that's something that's going to go away. Or, well, we're just going to get back to everybody going in the office now. I'm like, no, cat's out of the bag on that one. Like, that's not that's we are not going backward now. It's hybrid. So how do you connect employees emotionally to a company so that they are fulfilled, they are appreciated in this type of environment where there's so little interaction and opportunities to create relationships. I mentioned we've been hiring so many people, like some people have never even seen our senior management team, don't even know who they are. So how do we do that? Like, how do we create these deeper relationships in these video conferences? And then once we're in person and we have some people in person, some people not, how are we going to manage that. I think that's tough. And the reason it's tough is because there's no one size fits all. And it's so, so individual. We just did a series of kind of fireside chats with our executive management team, kind of senior vice presidents and C-suite folks. And I mean, the, the feedback runs the gamut. And it just depends on the person. One person is like, I really love this format. This is great. Perfect. I wouldn't change anything. Someone else is like, this is way too big. There needs to be 10 to 15 people in here. You know, one person is, this is wonderful. I love how personal it is. One person was like, this was awful. I don't think any of us can go down that rabbit hole of trying to please everyone. It's not possible. It just makes it a little harder. Like, how can you have the broadest positive impact. And that's, you have to always, I mean, you're kind of doing change management on yourself, right? You're like, all right, well, that didn't work. I'm going to have to <laughs> figure out. Yeah, it's exactly. I love being a part of this, almost like a paradigm shift in internal communications, right? Where this stuff works at past. And now we're all just like, oh my gosh, we got to kind of really figure out what works for our company and for our employees. It's a lot different. I, I think about, I mean, you've, you've alluded to it, the new employee experience, right? When you can't go in an office, you can't walk by people's desks. You can't like lean over a cue ball, your coworker and go, how do I submit ex an expense report? Just those little things where you have to like book time with someone. Now you're taking like a real time from their day and it's tomorrow because they're booked up with other meetings. It's a very interesting change that we're seeing. It's going to be interesting to continue to try to navigate this. It's so interesting to think about how we started and like the frame of mind of folks, employees at the start of the pandemic, which was more along the lines of, oh my God, what does this mean for my job? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to get laid off? To now people are like, peace, I'm out. You know, like <laughs> right. so different. Yeah, it's completely different. It's just in a couple of years, I don't know that any of us could have foreseen this, but it just keeps changing all the time. And that's an interesting thing to think back. And I'm glad you brought that up. I, I spoke with someone on this podcast a few months ago. We're really not even in the employee experience where we're, we're you know, it's the human experience. And, and work's just a part of it, but we're interacting with that. I don't know how many times, and I love it to see, you know, new parents with their baby while they're on meetings, because that's just the life that we're living in or dogs barking, you know, right. freaking out <laughs> in the back of my dog's barking or yeah. the need a plumber to come by. So it's a, it's a completely different world we're living in. We don't bring employees to work anymore and we have their full undivided attention as employees. We're now living in their space. So I, do you have any like, like final thoughts on them? 
this came up the other day in a meeting and one of the things that I would say is a positive is just exactly what you described is like, we used to talk so much about bringing your authentic self to work, but we thought about it very physically. I go to the office. This is what I'm like at the office. I leave the office. This is what I'm like when I leave the office. But now those lines are so blurred, so blurred. We have parents on calls. I mean, that has happened at garden where someone's having a meeting and like the three-year-old, four-year-old, he might've been five came over and sat on his lap and he just kept talking. Like he just was like, didn't even, he was in the middle of saying something to like a, a group of probably like 80 people. And, um, he was like, Hey bud. And then he just kept talking and people were like, that's so cute. Oh my God. I love your kids. So we're getting employees full selves more so than we ever have before. And I think there's some good in that. Being able to feel like your authentic self at work and being like, this is me, take it or leave it. It's been an issue, I think, in some places where people, for whatever reason, might feel like an other. And here, I feel like there's a little bit of a democratization there where it's like, oh, here I am. I've got like a dragon on my wall, like in the background and this stuff over here. And my dog just barked and... I'm trying to do a presentation and he's barking because he's decided the FedEx man is here to murder us, that kind of stuff. And I, I, I think that that's some of the good things that have come out of this. You know, there's a couple of other good things. I think you, you mentioned that, you know, now instead of kind of peeking over someone's cubicle wall and be like, how do I do that again? Now you have to write out an, an, like an email or a Slack message. And while that is kind of annoying, you really have to get your thoughts put together clearly you have to write that and articulate that clearly so that it's not a back and forth. You don't have time for a conversation now, right? Like now it's booking time, as you said. So you have to figure out a way to, to get that kind of done the first time, especially if you're working in a company that is global and you're in t completely different time zones. I have to figure out how to write this email clearly, say what I want clearly, because while I'm sleeping, they're working and there's like maybe like an hour of overlap there. And this is it. And if I don't do this now, it's going to take another week to get this done. There's some good things in it, but I think that's why a hybrid model is nice. If you want to go in the office and have that interaction and those spontaneous conversations, you can do that. And then on the days you want to kind of stay home and just have Zoom meetings, you can do that as well. So no, in your in your pajamas. To stay home and take Zoom meetings in your pajamas, <laughs> or at least pajama bottoms. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. No <laughs> one knows I'm wearing slippers right now, right? Well, Andrea, this has been so much fun, and I really appreciate you bringing all your expertise. I've learned a lot today. Before I let you go, I'll let our listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, sure. So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. Andrea Topper would probably be the best place to to find me. Well, thank you for joining me today. This has been fantastic. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it, Amanda. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Cohesion Podcast brought to you by Simpler, the modern internet software that simplifies the employee experience. Learn more about how Simpler can help you build the future of your employee experience at simpler.com. That's S-I-N-P-P-L-R.com. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure to hit subscribe, leave a review, and head over to www.simpler.com slash podcast for more information. Until next time, you're listening to The Cohesion Podcast. 
brought to you by Simpler. See you in the next episode.